Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We're on episode 237. And today we got a little bit of a different kind of episode for you. We're going to get to that in a second. But if you have not checked out our YouTube channel yet, what are you waiting on, my friend? You need to check that out. You can do that by going over to youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Again, that is youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Or go over to uh, YouTube and search for the speaker lab. Search for speech breakthrough. You'll find uh, all of our different videos there. But every single week we are releasing a new video teaching you, training you all about how to find and book speaking gigs and how to become a better speaker. A lot of times through our speech breakdown videos. And so we're taking some of the more popular uh, keynotes and presentations and TED Talks and doing uh, speech breakdowns of those explaining why they work, what doesn't work, and how you can use some of those ideas and strategies in your next presentation. So definitely stop by YouTube, check that out. Make sure you subscribe to the channel so you don't miss a single video. Make sure you like and comment on the videos as well. We really do appreciate that. So today we're doing a little bit of a, a different type of episode. What we've done today is uh, we're going to flip the tables and I'm going to be interviewed on this episode. And this is actually going to be a two-part this week and next week where we have had one of our former Booked and Paid to Speak students and then one of our current coaches within the Speaker Lab, Eric Ream, who's been on the show before. He's back and he's going to be interviewing me. So in this first part of this interview, uh, we're going to be talking about in detail like how I got into speaking, how I got my start what those early years were like as I was making that transition into speaking. And then uh, we're also going to start talking about how I started to make the transition from speaking into the speaker lab and how that kind of the genesis of the speaker lab. We're going to talk a lot more about that in part two next week of the show. So you want to make sure that you uh, you tune in for that as well. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's my, uh, my conversation with Eric Ream as he interviews me on all things, the history of the speaker lab and uh, on how Grant... I am Grant. How I got into speaking. So let's get into it. Enjoy. Hello, everyone out there on Speaker Lab. Hey, if my uh, voice sounds a little different, if I sound a little sexy, surprise, it's not Grant. Uh, actually, this is Eric Ream. I'm a booked and paid to speak alum. I'm also one of the newest uh, Speaker Lab coaches. And today we're doing something a little different. This is a little bonus, a little gift for you. We're actually interviewing Grant and we're going to unpack his speaking journey. More importantly, we're going to focus on Grant's Speaker Lab story and how he came up with it. What was the genesis? What was the vision? And what has he learned along the way? So I think this is going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be a treat. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So let's welcome Grant. Hey, Grant, can you say hi, everyone? And it's good to be here on the other end of this. So I've done a lot of interviews on both sides of this, but not on uh, not on this side for this show. So this is fun, man. I appreciate you uh, being a part of the team, all that you, all the success that you've had as a speaker, and uh, looking forward to uh, where this conversation takes us. Awesome. So hey, you're a first time guest on the Speaker Lab podcast. How does that feel? It feels really good. It feels really good. I've always wondered what it's like to sit on this side of the the microphone. 
still the same microphone that nobody can see. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, this will, this will be fun, man. Awesome. Well, cool. So Grant, for those that may not know, maybe they just now started following you on your podcast. Maybe they don't know your full story. Can you kind of just give us a recap, a summary of your origin story and give us a quick overview? You know, what brought you to become a speaker? What was your journey? How did you become a professional speaker? So back in high school, I was someone who I always really liked speaking. I looked forward to a public speaking class that I took. And even into college, I, I really enjoyed speaking there. I went to a, a small Bible college, was planning on becoming a youth pastor. And actually in college, I worked for a guy who was a full-time speaker. And so kind of got to see a little bit behind the scenes of here's what this is like to, you know, to be a speaker, to work, to uh, what the back end of it is like. I got to go with him to a couple of events here and there where he was speaking. And I just like it really... I really resonated with me. And so it's something that I was always intrigued with, um, but wasn't really sure, even though I worked for him, I wasn't necessarily sure what that could look like for me. And so honestly, one of the hesitations I had early on was I saw how much he was traveling and how much he was gone. And he was just, he was gone all the time. Now, and to be fair, like he was, he was an awesome husband, an awesome father. And to this day, still an amazing guy that I really look up to and admire, just a real mentor to me. But that was kind of a hesitation for me. It was just like, all right, in order to do this, am I, am I going to have to be gone all the time? Like, what would that look like? So, but at the same time, I was on that path to be a youth pastor. And so I'd gone to Bible college and then got a job as a youth pastor at a local church. And so in that, I had a lot of opportunities to speak. So I had a lot of opportunities to speak to students, you know, uh, during the week and on the weekends. But then I got an opportunity to speak. Uh, the, the, the lead pastor said, hey, I heard you're, I've been getting good feedback. I heard you're a decent speaker. You know, why don't we have you speak on a Sunday sometime in big church, right? And so I was looking forward to that. I was excited about that. I was like, okay, this is a good opportunity. Looking forward to seeing how this goes. So I spoke there and it went really well. Um, he had me do it a few more times and it went well. And so it was, it was, again, one of those things that just kind of reaffirmed in my mind, like speaking is something I just enjoy. It's something that I, I don't shy away from. I don't, you know, I still get nervous about, but it's nothing that's like crippling or overwhelming and something I just really, really looked forward to. So when I left, and actually to, to pause for a second there, and my wife got pregnant with our first child. And there's nothing like bringing a kid into the world that just causes you to question everything. Like, what am I doing with my life? So as a youth pastor, there, there are parts of the gig I liked, parts of what I didn't like. But one thing I really, the, the thing I really enjoyed was speaking. And so ended up resigning that position and figuring out, okay, I'm not sure that this is necessarily what I want to do with the rest of my life, but I'm not really sure what I would rather be doing instead. And so I resigned. My wife was about five months pregnant with our first child. And so naturally had a lot of people who were asking me, like good intentioned people who, family members, friends who were saying, hey, your wife's pregnant. You just quit your job. Uh, you have no plan B. Like, what, what are you doing? Dude? What are you doing, dude? So and I was like, yeah, that's true. All valid points. And so it was, it was a really rough stretch for me, actually, of just trying to figure out like, all right, what do I, what do I want to do now? And so really spent some time for the next several months trying to just process and think through what is it that I want to do with my life? What is it that I want to be when I grow up, so to speak? And the thing that I really kept coming back to was speaking. And so I, I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. And I wanted to pursue a career as a speaker. And so what I did from there actually was I made this decision. I want to be a speaker. I started looking for, and I still think this is a great exercise and it's something that we still recommend to speakers today, 
is to look for other speakers who are doing something similar to what you want to do and doing it in a way that you want to do it. Meaning, I didn't say like, okay, I want to be a speaker. Who are some other speakers out there? Uh, all right, Tony Robbins. Tony's a speaker. What's he speaking at? What's he doing? What's his business model like? Like, there's just a different ball game, right? But I knew for me, I had a lot of experience as a youth pastor. I had a lot of experience speaking to students, working with students. And so that was an audience that kind of resonated with me, that clicked with me. And I wanted to do more that direction. So I started just trying to look around and figure out what are the opportunities for youth speakers? Is that a thing? Is that a, is that an option? And so came across a couple guys who are doing a lot of youth speaking and reached out to several of them and, and just asking them questions and how do I do this and how do I get started? And so there was one of them that was starting a kind of a training boot camp for speakers. And I was like, I, I got to get to that. And so at the time we lived in Missouri, uh, he was doing this training in Dallas. Uh, the training was going to cost a thousand dollars at the time. Like we were just like a thousand dollars may have been, a, it could have been a million dollars. We just, we were broke again, new kid and no, like I was working, I was just kind of working some hodgepodge jobs, but it wasn't like we were making, you know, great income at all. And so I knew I wanted to go to that. I knew I wanted to figure that out. And so I, I still vividly remember this. I don't know if I've shared this before, but we were on a family vacation. And this was like, let me think here, like August of 20, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. And we were on a vacation with my dad. And I remember he and I are, are going for a walk on the beach in Florida. And um, I remember saying to him like, hey, I, I really want to give this speaking thing a shot. And so I remember, I remember asking him if I could borrow $2,500. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he didn't hesitate. He gave me $2,500 as a gift. And so I used a thousand of that to go towards the, the conference and the travel to get to and from the conference. And then I used the rest of it for two things. One was totally worthwhile. One was a total waste. The worthwhile one was built a website. And so that was one of the things I knew I needed. And so I had a buddy who's a web designer. And so I talked with him. I was like, dude, this, this is what I've got to work with. Like, how do we get a website out of this? And so he helped me build a website. And the second thing I did was uh, I had business cards made, like really sexy business cards that I have used a handful of times. You still have them? You still have those no. business cards? No, those were tough. <laughs> they looked really good. Like even to this day, like I'd be like, they look legit, but I, I, they were a waste. Uh, I'd still tell speakers that like, don't mess with business yeah. cards. It's, it's a waste. <laughs> But that's a side note. So uh, anyways, he gave me the money and I remember I started like really actively trying to book gigs. And I remember the very first gig I booked from that was for $1,000 to speak one time. And it was just like, this is something that we, we, I'm sure we'll get into today. But I find is being able to book that first gig for a speaker gives you the boost of confidence of just like, oh, dang, this works. Like I can do this, you know? And so it's like pushing that first domino. And so, yeah, I went to that training, um, connected with some other speakers that I, I still keep in touch with today. And um, that gave me a few more contacts, a few more systems uh, of like, I can do this. And then from there, it was just, it was a lot of hustle and a lot of work for the next several years of just building it up to yeah. the point, like my busiest year, I did about 70 gigs. So what year is that that you did the 70 gigs? That would have been, let's see here, 2014, 15, somewhere in there, something like okay. that. So let's um, let's unpack this a little bit. When you said you resigned, what year was that? What year did you resign from your job? Uh, that would have been 2005, I believe. Okay, so 2005. And then did you resign just because you just realized you didn't want to be a youth pastor or did you resign because you knew you wanted to be a speaker or did you resign trying to figure out what you wanted to do and then you decided you wanted to be a speaker? Yeah, I'd say more of the latter in that the, again, the, the role that I was in, it wasn't the healthiest of situations. Uh, the, the guy that I worked with wasn't the, the, the greatest guy to work with. And so 
I, I knew of several other friends and people that I'd gone to college with and just some buddies who were also youth pastors at different churches. And so I remember kind of talking with them and comparing notes. I was like, all right, there's a lot of people out here who are doing something similar to what I'm doing in terms of the youth pastor gig, but they're also, they're also in less than healthy situations. And mm. so I knew like, all right, I know not every church is unhealthy and not every you know gig is going to be a, a miserable one, but it also just helped me to kind of figure out like, is this what I want to do? Do I want to just go to a different role at a different church and try again? Or do I want to you know, do something totally different? And so um, that's where those couple months of just figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So a couple of like really instrumental books for me were um, Dan Miller's 48 Days to the Work You Love. That made a big impact. And at the time reading that book, and then since um, Dan's become a, a close friend, and I've told him numerous times, like, man, that, that book, changed a lot of trajectory for me. I've just figured out what I wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. another one was by Max Lucado, a book called um, The Cure for the Common Life. And the first half is, is some principles and ideas. The second half is like some exercises. And so I really spent time like going through those exercises and thinking through like, what are the moments in life that I've really felt alive and the things that I've really enjoyed. And so some of it was speaking, but then the other part of it was I've always been a pretty entrepreneurial guy. So I was the teenager who I mowed lawns all the time. You know, buddy shoveled snow, uh, shoveled driveways in the winter and just always like as a 15, 16 year old kid, like looking for a way to make a buck. And so, so I was always that kid. So the idea of doing my own thing as an entrepreneur was something that also really resonated with me. Yeah. So let me ask you this, take the audience to what the snapshot was in your life in 2005. Because I think a lot of people, this is a big thing for them. It was for me too. And you kind of coached me through this. But take me, what did, what did life look like for you when you left and you resigned? Did you have speaking gigs or you didn't have any speaking gigs yet? Financially, where were you? I mean, how big of a leap was this for you back in 2005? Yeah, it was, um, it was a massive leap because we, um, I didn't have any speaking gigs. I didn't have anything lined up. But again, at the time, I knew that I was, I was leaving the youth pastor gig, but I didn't necessarily know what I was going to. And so it was, um, or going towards rather. So it was really, that's where that several months of just figuring out what do I want to do next and, and kind of landed on speaking is how that kind of came about. And so, yeah, at the time, just in terms of like from a work financial perspective, like I was just working a bunch of just odd jobs. Like I worked, uh, I worked for a security company doing sales, like residential sales stuff. And really that was my father-in-law owned a security company in another state. And so I knew like, Hey, you know, he's done well at this and maybe I could figure this out. And so that's, uh, that's kind of how I, I started working at this particular, this one company, different company than he owned, but started working there. And then in college, I worked in an Applebee's as a server and really liked really liked waiting tables. Like that was really fun for me. And so I got a a job at a fine dining restaurant waiting tables. And so I was just kind of like piecing together a couple of random things just to like make ends meet. And Mm. none of it was like, these are, these are not career aspirations. These are more like buying time to figure out what I wanted to do. That's Um, awesome. I ended up getting, working for a a speaking, it's kind of a speaking, like a school assembly organization. It's not even around anymore, but what they would basically do would be they would book speaking assemblies for you and then you would go out and give the presentation and they have like hundreds of of speakers and it was you're basically presenting their content and it was kind of they had a bunch of big corporate sponsors and it's kind of an interesting model but um it paid horribly they would pay you about a hundred dollars for an assembly locally right which is absurd today but at the time like when you're getting started you're like a hundred dollars to speak like oh yeah heck yeah that's amazing right and so 
you know, doing that a couple of times also just started to get me going in the direction of like, all right, th- this is what I want to do. This is the direction I want to go. I know I can't keep doing it at a hundred dollars a pop. So I got to, you know, start figuring out more and more what it looks like for me to do it on my own. And yeah, that's where, you know, we started booking some gigs here and there and, and tried to build some momentum and get yeah. that snowball rolling. Wow. When you said you work for the security company, I was so hoping you told me you were driving a Segway with a security outfit, you know, in some <laughs> warehouse with Mace. I was so hoping that was your gig. That'd been Not hilarious. a security guard. <laughs> but I mean, even that was just like, that was a tough gig, but it also helped me from a, a sales standpoint because like you and I have talked a lot about, we talk with our students a lot about is that part of being a speaker is the part where you're on stage, but there's also the part of like, you have to book gigs and you have to actively promote and, and sell yourself and what it is that you're offering. And so talking with people and going out and hustling because that, that's that security job was a hundred percent commission. And so there was no base salary. There was no health insurance. There's nothing like that. And so you, you, you make what you, what you kill basically, which is the same world that we live in as speakers. You know, if, if we're not actively hustling to get gigs, you're not booking gigs and you're not making a living doing that. Mm-hmm. And so, so there's definitely some of that straight commission stuff that I was like, this is intimidating and daunting. But at the same time, I know like this, you know, the, it, in some ways I think it helped prepare me for, you know, the, the life of being a, of running a, a speaking business. Awesome. So in 2005, you make this big decision. Your wife's pregnant. You said, this is the best time for me to go ahead and put our entire family and finances at risk. And so you jump off into this big world, this unknown world. You make it sound so horrible, which (laughs) it was. And so I I would say this, like some of it was like, uh, like, because it wasn't like we had a huge saving. I don't even know that we had any savings really. And like she was working a little bit part-time and so that's where like working a couple of different jobs just to like, again, make ends meet of it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hell for a little while. Like I'm just going to have to bust my butt and we're just going to have to figure this out. You know, we're going to have to make this work. But I also like a thing I really remember that I kept coming back to was I really felt like I could, I could make it work as a speaker. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to give myself a fair shot on that. And I didn't want to... Like I didn't want to get to the end of my life and look back and be like, man, I think I could have made that work, but I'll never know because I didn't yeah. give it a shot. You know? Yeah, that's a good so, point. That's a good point. I, I, I reason why I wanted to recap that is I want to make the point that I don't think there's ever a perfect time. Right? 100%. So if, you're, if you're waiting for the perfect time to launch your business, you're going to be waiting forever. Yep. You either do it or you don't. And I think that's what's so compelling about your story is from the outside looking in uh, to the average observer, it's like, dude, you're crazy. But you knew what was on your heart. You knew what you wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And you would be doing yourself an injustice if you didn't at least try to pursue it. So I, yeah. uh, kudos for you on that. So take our audience real quickly before we move on. <clears throat> so in 2005, you jumped the ship. You take two, basically $2,500 loan. Uh, you start a website. You go to that boot camp. You get some business cards. So from the time you resigned, you got the loan that same year. How long did it take you to get that first $1,000 gig? So let me think your timeline wise. So the the training that I went to was in December, I think of 2006, maybe 2007. And I had booked the first gig actually before I got to that event, to that training. So that was even more momentum of just like, all right, I'm on the right track. I'm doing this. Uh, and I think actually going on that training, I had booked two gigs. So one was for a gig. Uh, I lived in Missouri at the time. So one was for a, something there in Missouri a couple hours away. And then the other one was in Indiana at this like state 4-H conference or something. And I remember for that one, they paid me a couple thousand dollars to speak a few times. And it was just like, again, just an astronomical amount of money is what it felt like. And so, yeah, it was really just kind of like, again, once I booked those first couple, it was, it was as much of a strategic game from there as it was a mental game, meaning that I felt like, 
okay, I can do this. I know what this looks like. I know how to follow this plan. I know how to just like wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over to continue getting these gigs. And so it was a lot of, it was, it was not like I built a website and now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring and I hope it all magically works out. But it was a lot of like being really strategic of like proactively reaching out to potential clients and potential uh, event organizers and event planners and introducing myself. And when I would do one event, asking if they knew of other people who they could make referrals to or introductions to and, and doing that. And like continue to network with other speakers who could refer me business or I could refer them business or they could give me advice. There was a, uh, a speaker I remember early on who said, hey, when I got started several years ago, here's a conference I went to that was a game changer for me. You ought to, I'm not really in this space anymore, but you ought to go to this conference. I think it would really help you based on what you're doing. I was like, awesome. So I went to that conference. That was a huge investment. But I booked a... They, it ended up being like a $35,000 contract out of it for doing like... Wow. two weeks of assemblies and they bought a bunch of books and it was a whole bunch of stuff. But wow. I was just like, game changer. This is amazing. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was not like I did this one thing and then all of a sudden did everything change, you know, like I can, yeah. I can point to a bunch of events, a bunch of little things that just like I met this person and then this opened that door and then I did yeah. this thing and then that changed and I did this right. work and then that worked, you know, and it's a lot of little things that you do that, that make the difference. And yeah. again, create so, that momentum over time. Well, real quickly, so we will shift after this. But I am I am curious. So you started in two thousand five. At what point did you realize, okay, this is going to work? I don't know that there's necessarily. Well, I take that back. I remember one event that I felt like, okay, I can play at a bigger level. And so I, in fact, the, the guy who's training that I went to, he he lived in California, and he got invited to speak at a conference in. Uh, Oklahoma. And there's a very small budget. I think if I remember right, it was like a couple hundred bucks. I lived in Missouri. So I was just down the road from them. So it didn't make sense for him to come out. And he's like, you got to talk to Grant. Grant can do it. So I talk with him and I'm like, eh, it's a couple hundred bucks, but sure, we'll go do it. So it's a small little conference. I go do it. And the conference went fine. But the, the big thing for me was that it was the state level organization and the wife of the national director happened to be in the audience. And so she came up afterwards, introduced herself and was like, you did amazing. I'm going to tell you, tell my husband about you and he needs to have you at the national conferences. And so she did that. And he like within a week or so or something like that, like he called me or emailed me or whatever and booked me to do several of their big national events, like thousands of people conferences. And so I remember feeling like, okay, all right, we're on to something here. We can do this. And just feeling like in some of that, like, you know, I can, I can do this. I'm doing a good job at this. And so that was, that definitely helped. And so, well, I can say this, like there was never a point where it's like, all right, I'm going to be a speaker and I'm going to quit my job on Friday and Monday I'm going to become a speaker. Like it, you know, it never worked like that. So for a little while, while I was speaking, I was also still doing the security thing and still doing the school assembly thing for this other organization and still doing the restaurant thing and just kind of like, again, piecing things together. And so as my speaking would increase, then I would drop one of the things. I might drop the security job and I'd keep the, you know, the other things. And then as my speaking would continue to increase, then I might drop the restaurant thing. And then I would drop the other thing. And so it was really just kind of a slow transition to the point where eventually I was all in on my own speaking, but that wasn't like an overnight thing. So it took me, it took me about a year and a half to two years to go from zero gigs on the calendar to being able to do it on a, on a full-time scale. Awesome. And what was a full-time scale mean? How many gigs was that? Uh, I mean, I think at the time it would have been around, uh, I want to say like 25, 30, somewhere 35, maybe somewhere in there. 
And so the other thing I would say is this is going to be a little bit dependent on for, for people that are listening, it's going to be dependent on them and their situation and circumstance. Meaning at the time, I, as a, like a former youth pastor, I was replacing like a $30,000 salary. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, Hey, I'm in my, you know, uh, I'm in this corporate executive job where I'm making six figures and I've been at it for a long time. And, and I have a, you know, a bunch of personal expenses and overhead that I'm trying to replace or supplement. So our, our cost of living was somewhat low at the time. Um, and at the same time, like I knew that, that the gigs that I was doing, it wasn't like they were paying you know, five or $10,000 out of the gate. Like it was a lot of one, two, $3,000 gigs, but I knew like, okay, there's enough here that we can, you know, we can make this work. And so, yeah, it would have been around 20, 25. And so I, I know it wasn't necessarily just, it's never just about like, okay, here's the amount of gigs that I have done as much as what do I have on the calendar coming up? And what's still to come and what's locked in? What do I have contracts for that gives me some confidence of that? And I would say like even, and I've shared this before, like yes, I ended up, you know, quitting my job and going all in on speaking and 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 doing that. But again, going back to what we just talked about, there's never a point where like, okay, this is the perfect timing. It's all gonna magically work out. Like there's there's just never that that point mm. because it's there's still there's still days to this to this day where I feel like the insecurities and doubts of like, ah, this is it. I'm gonna have to gonna have to get a new job somewhere, you know? And and at this point, like I've been self-employed for like 12 or 13 years, but so I think some of those doubts and insecurities are are always just kind of kind of lingering. Yeah, and how life would be so much easier if there was that magic bullet filling. So so looking at the your journey then 2005 you start about a year and a half into it you really got some uh, momentum going and then you fast forward to 2014 9 years later at your peak you did 70 gigs and then so let's transition to speaker lab. So there was a point in that journey that you had this vision, this idea that, hey, maybe I can create something and help others do what I did. So before we get to that journey, just tell us the audience real quick, as uh, the speaker lab exists today, what is the purpose of the speaker lab? So the, the speaker lab exists to help speakers to find and book speaking gigs. And a big way that we, we want to do that is we want to help speaker, we want to help give speakers confidence that they can do this. And so that's one of the things that we talk about uh, internally is that, yes, we want to give you a plan for knowing how to find and book gigs, but we want you to have the confidence that you can actually do this. Because if you don't believe you can do this, then it doesn't even matter what we tell you to do. And so we want you to know that your message matters and that you can actually make this happen. We're going to show you what to do, but ultimately it comes down to you actually doing it. But if we can, if, if you know that you can do this and we can give you the plan and the steps to do it, then it's, it's, a, it's a game changer from there. And you're a great example of that. You know, you're, you went through you know, the program several years ago and you started getting some momentum. And you know, even as of recently, quit your job and you're all in on speaking and you've had a very, very successful speaking career and over hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's made a huge impact for you personally, as well as for your family. And so as much of it was for, here's the steps you need to take, Eric, to find and book gigs. Was it about the mental confidence and the mental game that like, no, no, you, like, you can do this. Like, this is not rocket science. It's, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy, but you can actually do this. And so, yeah, a big part of what we try to do is the game plan of here's how you find and book gigs, but also the, the mental confidence so that, that you can actually make this happen. Awesome. And I, and I think it's also be important, Grant, is to, what are the, I know there's different avenues if you decide to go down this path and you're, you're listening to this podcast right now and you're intrigued by your journey, you're intrigued by my journey, and you just want to see if you have a journey there. What are the different offerings that the Speaker Lab provides? Can you kind of list those? 
Yeah, we got a couple different things that people can can check out. We the the kind of the core that we core program that we offer is called Booked and Paid to Speak. And so this is the product and, and the training program that we've had for uh, for about four a little over four years at this point. Uh, and that's the core plan that walks people through exactly how to find and book gigs. That gives you kind of a sneak peek into all of our tools and systems and emails and processes and contracts that we use to find and book gigs. So it helps you get clear on who you speak to, what you speak about, your website, your your demo video, your marketing materials, having a system and process to reach out to people and just walking you through all of that. And so that's kind of the core thing. And then from that, in the past um, little over about a year and a half, has evolved a different version of that called Booked and Paid to Speak Elite, where we are, it's much more uh, intense in terms of where we are. There's a lot more group coaching, a lot more one-on-one coaching, a lot more done-for-you components where rather than just saying, here's the plan, go after it and you can do this and make it happen. Let us know if you need anything. The elite program is much more like we're in the weeds and in the trenches with you, doing a lot of the work with you and for you uh, to make sure that you get results. So yeah, those are the two main things. We've got a couple other little things here and there, but those are the be the two main ones. Books and Paid to Speak and then uh, Books and Paid to Speak Elite. All right. So the, we just heard your journey. And by the way, if anyone's interested to get more of Grant's journey and his background, I'd recommend you go to the episode one of this podcast where Grant really talks more about his journey. So we just talked about your journey. At what point of the journey did you come up with this idea? So can you walk us through what was the, the seed that was planted that you decided, hey, maybe I should create something like this? Yeah. So I would say this would have been back in like 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Like I, um, A couple of things happened. One was I started seeing just some, I started coming across a couple of people who had like uh, an online business, who had some type of online training program or digital product. There was something I was very much interested in and intrigued by uh, because part of the challenge of speaking is it doesn't scale very well. You're a one person in one place speaking to one audience at one time. And so, for example, we were talking a little bit beforehand as of this recording yesterday, you had a great event with like 1200 people or something and in Michigan and it went really well. But at that moment, you can only speak to those 1200 people in Michigan. And in order to go to Michigan, you don't live in Michigan. So you have to leave your family and go somewhere else. And so you, you get a really good paycheck to do that. But again, the nature of it is you, you have to leave and you have to go somewhere. So I had a speaker friend tell me one time, Speaking is a high paying manual labor job in that we get paid way too well to stand on stage and run our mouths, but you got to leave. You got to go somewhere. You got to do, you, you have to, you are the product. And so if you wanted to take a month off, if God forbid you got sick or something happened to you or whatever, it's all dependent on you being there. And so part of me is like, okay, I like that. I'm intrigued by that. But part of me is just like, it's kind of a bummer. Like the whole thing is just tied to you and constantly having to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And even though like I really, I find that most speakers who've been at it for a long time, they would tell you the one hour, the 45 minutes or whatever it is that you're on stage is amazing. And everything else is pretty monotonous and, and uninteresting. So it's a lot of driving. It's a lot of sitting in airports. It's a lot of sitting on planes. It's a lot of sitting in hotels. It's a lot of sitting backstage. It's a lot of just waiting. And so uh, it's pretty uneventful. And so it just kind of got my wheels spinning all right, if, if I wanted to, as a speaker, there's really two primary ways that you can make more money is that you either, you speak, you just do more gigs or you charge more. And those are pretty much the two options. And so at the time, like I said, I was doing about 70 gigs, which was, which was a lot. It was a good amount. And so that equates to, you know, 80 to 90 to hundred nights gone because you may have to fly in the night before, or maybe an event that is the middle of the day. And so you flying the night before and you can't leave till the following day and it ends up being three days for you to speak one time. And so 
it just kind of got my wheel spinning like, all right, I really like speaking. I want to do more of this. I'd love to create some other types of products that maybe I could, that don't depend on me always having to get on a plane. And so at the time I was doing a lot of speaking with high schools and colleges on the topic of careers. And so I thought that could be a cool thing to do is just do some type of like some type of training program on the topic of careers. Cause I, I think back to what we just kind of covered of my own story of going through that part of, okay, I started doing a job that was fine, but ultimately it wasn't what I really wanted to do. And how do I figure out what I really want to do? And I found that a lot of people were in a similar spot. So wanting to take a step that direction ended up hiring a, a coach and um, starting a podcast. And so the podcast was called, How Did You Get Into That? And so it was basically, it was a, did you ever listen to that? Did you ever hear I, it? I did not listen to that. It's still, I, I still, I still, people are like, you, you ought to do that show again. That was, a fun, I really enjoyed it. And so yeah. basically what the idea was, was I had a lot of people who would ask me that question. Hey, you're a speaker. That's kind of cool. How did you get into that? Right. And so I found that people would ask in one of two ways, either one, they wanted to be a speaker and they just want to know what steps you need to take or two, that's just fascinating. That's some, that's how you make a living. How, how do you do that? That's kind of cool. And so I was like, that'd be kind of an interesting show just to interview people who have interesting careers just to hear how they got into it. And so we started scheduling a bunch of interviews and, and did this podcast. We did about 100, I think 140, 150 episodes of, or so of that show and interviewing all types of people. So we interviewed a guy who's one of the top uh, Lego master builders in the world, interviewed a guy who's an NBA mascot, interviewed someone, uh, a guy who helped design uh, one of the Air Jordans who worked with Nike on that. So just those type of things are just like, all right, you hear those type of interviews and you think, okay, if I, wanted to, if I wanted to be a shoe designer for Nike, how would I go about doing that? What are the steps that that person took? Or it could just be as much as, that's just fascinating. Like if that dude can figure out a way to work for Nike designing shoes for, for, for Jordan, then I, surely I can figure out what my thing is, right? And so that was kind of the idea behind it. And so we did that podcast for, um, for a while, really enjoyed it, really liked it. And then it was like, okay, we're starting to build a bit of an audience here let's do a course on helping people figure out what they want to do. Again, I'd start to see some courses. And I was like, all right, that's, I, I, think, I think we're onto something here. This, this could be cool. And so I did, um, created a course called Clarity Course. And it was a really good course. I really liked it. What are you laughing at? This is a good course. <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's a kind of a strange title, Clarity Course. You don't know where this is going. Uh-uh. And so we, uh, so we create the course and we launched the course. And it did okay, but in my estimation, it was a flop. And <laughs> I just remember feeling like really, really disappointed, frustrated, confused, and feeling like, oh, dang, this did not, this did not go how I was anticipating it going. I don't know what I was anticipating, but it wasn't it. And so, so I remember that was like in December. I don't remember what year that was, but I remember it was in December. And so I remember in January, like literally a few weeks later, I had a, a small mastermind of a couple of other entrepreneur guys that I was buddies with. And so we got together and we're all just kind of comparing notes on our businesses. And so I remember telling them, I was like, hey, I just did this course. And they knew I was doing this thing. And like, it didn't go that, that great. Here's an idea. I am kind of intrigued on doing a different course for speakers. I get asked all the time on how do you find and book gigs? How do you do it? If I wanted to be a speaker, how do I do that? And I kind of want to just bail on this career thing and just do the speaking thing. And they're all kind of like, eh, I don't know you should do that. Because you're like, you just launched this career thing. You put a lot of work into it. And it, yes, it didn't go great, but it was also version 1.0. And I also just kind of had like this intuition of like, yeah, but I think there's more to the speaking thing that I could do the speaker course. And so I, I worked really, really hard on 
putting something together, like putting the course together and just like walking people through. Because I still got I still got questions all the time of people like, hey, I want to it was the same thing I was doing when I got started. I was just people reaching out and saying, I want to be a speaker. How do I do this? And there's it's one thing that you can, you know, give them some feedback or advice in a, you know, a, an email or, or a quick phone call. But something different would be like, okay, here's all the steps I actually took to find a book gigs. And here's the things that you need to do and the things that you need to think about and be aware of and all that stuff. And so I put that into a course and that was that was March, I think it was it came out like March twenty fourth. 14, 2015, something like that. And just kind of like, this is just a side hustle, just kind of a side thing. And I I remember some of this comes from an idea I heard about from the book Rework. Uh, And so one of the things they talked about in there was the idea of selling the sawdust and meaning that lumber mills used to have a problem where they would be chopping wood all day and they'd have so much sawdust. And so they were like, what do we do with all this sawdust? This kind of like leftovers of the work that we're already doing. And so they ended up turning it into charcoal. And so they took this kind of like, here's the leftovers of what they're doing and how do we make a business out of that? And so I kind of felt like I'm already finding and booking gigs regularly. Can I just teach? Here's the sawdust. Here's, here's the, I'm already in the trenches on this. How can I teach people what I'm already doing that's working for me? And so that's kind of the idea for it. And so we put the course together and I remember hosting a, uh, our first webinar for that and it went really well. I remember we sold several and that was just kind of like a aha light bulb, eureka, epiphany of like, okay, I think now we're really on to something. I think this is a direction we could, we could really go. And so I remember doing a few more webinars. We continued to sell it. We continued to get feedback, continue to make the course better and just continue to go down that path. And so really that, that again, similar to like the speaking career, like over time, it wasn't, it wasn't all like this overnight success. It was a, it was a lot of work behind the scenes of figuring out how do we best teach this? How do we best market this product? How do we find the people who are, who are where I was when I got started? Um, and that's a lot of what we were trying to create was when I got started, the line that we use a lot still today is that I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I knew I liked speaking. I knew I was a decent speaker. I had no idea how do you actually find a book gigs. I had no idea how the back end of how does this world work. And so that's where a lot of speakers are that, that find us and find the speaker lab is I have the potential, but I need the plan. And so we wanted to give them the, the plan. And at the time, there's a bunch of people who do it today, but at the time, like I didn't necessarily know of anyone who was teaching the business part. There's a lot of people who were and still teach like the art side. Here's how you, how do you, how you give a good talk and here's mm-hmm. how you good speaking skills and presentation skills. And that's all important, right? But you can be an amazing presenter, but if you don't know how to book gigs, like you're going to amazing presenter that nobody knows about. And so I really wanted to teach the business side of it, of mm-hmm. finding and booking gigs. And so, yeah, that's kind of how a uh, book and pay to speak yeah. was created. Well, that, that's huge for me. When I came on board, that was the number one thing I was looking for is, you know, how do you actually do the business side of this thing? Cause there's yeah. so much information out there on how to be a better speaker, but I just didn't know the steps and that was a huge hole. Yep. So we're, we're at a crossroads right now, Grant. I want to get some advice from you cause you run this thing. Okay. So we're at the end of the podcast episode time. But I, I really want to dig further on this because I think there's a lot to unpack here. Want to see? Do you, should we do a part two to this? And really, I feel get, like we got a part two coming. Yeah. So I think what we should do is close here. I think this is a good time to close. And then what we'll do is, if you really liked what you uh, heard and you and you like the information, then stick around because we're going to continue this journey on the second part of the episode. So. Grant, I just want to thank you. Number one, I want to thank you for participating today and opening up on your journey because I think it's important for us to hear your journey because, you know, sometimes with a guy like you is very successful. We realize that there was a pre-you, right? And there was a time when you had to go through the process. Yeah. So I think that's important for people to hear that because the founder of the, of the program 
also was you, the listener right now, just figuring out totally. the pastor who's making $30,000 and, you know, doesn't really like his job and needs to move on, right? Yep. So you were that person. So I think that's fantastic. So this isn't this theory that we're learning. It's actually practical things that you put in place. But I also want to thank all, thank you for all your work and, and effort and your support that you provide all of us. So I can say, I think, on behalf of all your students and all the Speaker Lab staff, I'm one of those now, and everyone listening to the podcast, we truly appreciate you. So Grant, can you just leave us with one final thought? The people who's listening right now, would you say, is speaking really worth it? And can you make a living at it? 100%. Absolutely. And I would say, again, like um, I think it's helpful to have have, uh, there was not one thing that I did that all of a sudden made the difference. So it wasn't like, and I was a, I was a contestant on American Idol. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, and then uh, after that, I won an Olympic gold medal. And so then all of a sudden the speaking opportunities came out of the, out of the blue. Like it, it just did not work like that. Like I'm a, I'm a, a normal dude from the Midwest who's had a pretty normal average life. Like there's nothing, I've never had cancer. I've never, never broke a bone in my body. There's nothing on paper that should quote unquote qualify me to be a speaker. But we figured out some systems and processes of what works and figured out who hires speakers, what do they hire speakers for, and tried to duplicate that and replicate that for other speakers like yourself, Eric. And so absolutely, if, if someone wants to do this, whether you want to do this you know, and do 70 gigs a year or you say, hey, I'd love to do, you know, I'm a, a, a full-time stay-at-home mom or dad and I'd love to do five things locally just to kind of like give back and, and, and help in my community or in, in some way, you know, we can, we can walk you through how to do that. So speaking is a, a extremely rewarding, phenomenal business. And um, yeah, I guess in part two, we're going to talk more about uh, how we can dig into it even more. Awesome. This is good stuff. So Grant, for those that want to follow you or get more information about you, where's the best place to go? Yeah, everything's going to be at the Speaker Lab, thespeakerlab.com. So make sure that you, uh, you stop by, check that out. Obviously, the, uh, the podcast here, the, the YouTube channel, lots of uh, different trainings and, and free things that we've got there. So yeah, awesome. check out uh, thespeakerlab.com. Awesome. Well, great job. Appreciate you. And we'll see everybody in part two. Have a good one. All right. There you go. Uh, that was a fun conversation. That was a fun interview. And uh, it, was, it was fun uh, having the tables turned on me this time and having Eric interview me. So really enjoyed that. That was fun. Good job, Eric. Hey, uh, again, I would encourage you to check out our YouTube channel or see these speech breakdowns that we are doing every single week. You can go to youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Again, youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Check it out. You got a lot of great free content there on a weekly basis. Hey, again, don't forget to check out week two, part two of this. This will be happening next week, episode 238. Next week, we're going to be breaking into uh, breaking down more of the Speaker Lab history and uh, how we got to this point. So lots to learn from that as well. All right. So we'll catch you next week. You're awesome. Awesome.